let's get agreement that this is a strategic priority. That area of alignment and synergy can be very Looking important. The future, we're committed to expand valuation. time, there's still progress that needs to be made. This is Healthcare Strategies. Hi, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Sarah Heath, Managing Editor for Excelgent Healthcare Media and the Lead Editor on PatientEngagementHIT.com. We are here to talk about workforce diversity today. The odds of being Black or Hispanic and finding a doctor who looks like you are slim in the U.S. You know, after all, data shows that Black and Hispanic people are vastly underrepresented in the medical workforce. Just shy of 6% of doctors are Black in the U.S., despite Black people representing around 12% of the total population. The numbers for Hispanic doctors aren't much better. Despite representing 19% of the total U.S. population, just under 7% of doctors are Hispanic. It's an uncomfortable truth to confront, but that doesn't mean the healthcare industry can't do anything about it. In an effort to promote overall good public health and particularly equitable outcomes across all demographics, the American Association of Colleges of Osteopathic Medicine, or ACOM, is looking at the downstream solutions to cultivating a diverse medical workforce. Dr. Robert Kane, ACOM president and CEO, and Helene Cameron, PhD, ACOM VP for undergraduate medical education and recruitment, are here with us today to talk about the efforts and in the industry's overall work toward creating a more diverse medical workforce. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Can we maybe start off by chatting with you guys a little bit about yourselves and your roles at ACOM? Dr. Kane, if you wanted to kick us off a little bit. I'd be happy to. Well, as you've already noted, I'm the president and CEO of the association. ACOM is 125 years old this year, and we have been supporting the osteopathic medical schools since 1898. Today, there are over 60 locations in the United States where our students are earning the DO degree or Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine. And so we have the opportunity to support those schools, to be the voice for osteopathic medical education, and to try to help the public see the value that our particular approach to the practice of medicine potentially brings to their health care. About myself, I am a DO. I graduated in 1988, so have been at this for a few decades. I had the opportunity to run a private practice for 14 years before I became involved with academic leadership and with education. And my background, I'm a lung specialist by training and certification. Great. And Helene, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? So I joined ACOM about 18 months ago as the Vice President of Undergraduate Medical Education Services. And everybody says, what in the world is that? And the Cliff Notes version of that is that my team and I are responsible for successfully managing our centralized application service, where anyone who wants to attend osteopathic medical school would actually start their application for medical school with us. I've spent over 20 years in higher education, primarily in student affairs functions, everything from admissions to academic advising and student affairs, and transitioned to ACOM, like I said, about 18 months ago. Great. And I'd like to start off just kind of getting at a baseline, discussing why workforce diversity is so important for achieving health equity. I wanted to hear maybe a little bit about some of the evidence that we might have that improving workforce diversity can help improve health outcomes and the patient experience for all populations. I'll be happy to start on this one and maybe a little bit of background information 
first as we get to that evidence. And, and I'll speak sort of firsthand as a physician and what's important just in the practice of medicine itself and then why it's so important in, in specific cases. So there are some fundamentals at work if we really think about this. And one of the first fundamentals is that you know, trust is a foundation of the doctor-patient relationship. If we don't have trust, the rest of it really doesn't work well. And that trust hopefully creates a few things, a connection to the patient and greater awareness, right? Through deep listening and the things that it takes to develop that trust. So if you're a patient, think about the questions you're asking. Do I have trust in this person in front of me? Do I have reason to trust this person in front of me? Have I been given reason not to trust this person in front of me? When we look at care in and of itself, especially preventive care, you have to be able to walk into that physician's office and sometimes reveal some of the most personal things about you to that individual. So how do we create that in the space for all patients of all different types of backgrounds? We do know that primary care in and of itself, so before we even talk about underrepresented groups and, and diversity, if you have a primary care physician, your chance of having better health outcomes go up. And luckily, there's, there's evidence in several studies that, that point to it that as we then look at underrepresented groups, when those groups are actually cared for by patients from the same community, that actually that trust increases and that there are better outcomes, especially in the preventive space. If we look at some of the examples, now broadly, first of all, that you know, from a standpoint of the African-American population, you know, more likely to die of heart disease, more likely to have strokes than white Americans, and that they also have higher cancer rates, diabetes rates, and, and so forth. But when you actually intervene with physicians who, as the phrase often is shared, look like them, you actually see that those health outcomes can, can be improved. At least one large study out of California that in black males showed better outcomes from a prevention standpoint. Um, the good part is, and I do want to add something here, because as we're talking about this in the context of osteopathic medicine, this is really important because a core part of the osteopathic philosophy is mind, body, spirit, and being able to connect to that whole person and not just seeing them as the disease to be treated, but rather trying to help that person really reach their health potential. And so I think at that core of what you're asking about is creating trust in the community that allows the patients to connect that leads to those better outcomes. Awesome. Moving along, you know, we understand that having a diverse medical workforce is important, and yet that's not quite what we have going on right now in the U.S. I wanted to hear a little bit about some of the barriers to building a diverse medical workforce. Well, I think some of the barriers start with awareness, right? My department works a lot on making people aware that there is more than one way to become a physician and that osteopathic medicine is another way that someone could do that who is interested in medicine. But also beyond that barrier of awareness is just understanding that it's a career that is open to me. And there still is that misunderstanding, if you would, that medicine may not be open for all people especially if you spent your entire life going to a doctor that doesn't look like you, right? That's sort of where that would start. So just getting the awareness out there, doing a lot of awareness and understanding campaigns about opportunity for students is one of the biggest things that we are tackling right now and trying to tackle so that students clearly understand that there is opportunity, that there are doctors that look like them, 
and that all of them are not MDs. Now, I, I think to add to that, Helene, we've been watching this happen over the past few years, but is there organizational commitment to creating that workforce, right? So the first barrier is, is their interest in actually making that happen? And, and certainly we've been trying to demonstrate both through our um, consensus statement that all of our deans signed about two years ago related to creating a diverse uh, workforce through the values that the organization actually has. And so then if we look at sort of historic institutional barriers, things like are there pathways in place that people can see the pathway to medical school and how can we help them actually see that from all underrepresented groups and, and what that means? Are there programs to support the education that is going to take place? Um, can people at the end see the quality product that actually comes uh, from it? Certainly there are financial barriers, so I think we may talk about that a little bit more later, but there's uh, financial barriers to it. And in that pathway picture, has there been trust in the community, going back to that word again, that has for some reason created the image of, I can't get to that space, or that isn't a future for me. And what can we do to actually build that trust? Absolutely. Something I was talking to someone else previously about, I, I actually do think it might have been someone with ACOM. We were talking about how healthcare organizations can only hire the job applicants they have. And, you know, similarly, um, DO programs and medical schools can only admit the applications that are in front of them. So it's going to require kind of a downstream effort to even get those applications to materialize, right? So I wanted to hear a little bit about, you know, how downstream do those interventions have to happen to make sure schools get a diverse applicant pool to then cultivate that diverse workforce? Well, first, I would say that ACOM has a commitment, a strong commitment to recruiting a diverse and representative body into the profession. So that's, that's number one. We have a strong commitment to do that. And then our colleges of osteopathic medicine have similar commitments to do that and are doing it in a number of ways. We support them through our efforts of outreach to not only introduce students to um, the opportunity, but also the colleges and universities where they're attending school because we have a relationship with the National Association of Health Advisors. And those health advisors are partners and are very important to the work that we do. And so we have started some outreach to them and some additional outreach specifically to minority-serving institutions to inform them about who we are, what we do, and how we want to have their students um, involved who are interested in medicine involved in our application process. A diverse medical school brings forth better doctors for our world. And so this is really what it's about. It's about how do we change healthcare in America? How do we provide the healthcare that's needed? And we start with that by a diverse application pool, which leads to a diverse class and then leads to outstanding diverse physicians. I think part of the question goes to some specifics so I'm aware of how our schools have pushed further and further into the community, right? So in the past, recruitment only have happened and awareness only happened at the college level. And, and so the natural pathway is I'm in college, I'm looking to become a physician, the admissions departments and recruiters are working into that space. But as we talk to our schools, and even as we think here at the association, it's moved beyond that. 
well, what happens at the high school level? What happens at the junior high level? And actually, you know, one of our programs that Helene works with has reached as low as the third grade to try to connect with students, not to try to convince them to become a DO. Right? I think learning what an osteopathic physician is, is unique, and it's something that you're going to learn about at an earlier age. But can you create interest in the sciences, right? And, and interest in healthcare and any health profession at a much earlier age to say, well, I know what a doctor is, a nurse is, a veterinarian is, and stimulate that interest. And then are the rest of the programs there to support that growth as people are moving through the school system to see, again, as we were just talking, you can see that pathway ahead for you. And if you happen to come from a family that can't support you in that, you may be from a family that's never had someone that's attended college before. Well, there's a lot of advice that goes into selecting that college and being successful in college. How do you make sure those are in place? I'm really proud to see the number of our schools that have those types of programs emerging. Yeah, and I, that segues very nicely to my next question about, you know, what ACOM is doing right now to help cultivate that diverse medical student pool. Helene, I would love to hear more about that program that starts in grade three and how you guys kind of help cultivate students on their pathway toward undergraduate and then graduate education. Well, we have a program called Doctors and What They Do. And as Dr. Kane expressed, it's to help them understand what do, what do we do, right? And so we are working on finding ways to expand that program to K-12 students so that they can learn about osteopathic medicine as an option. I often use a story about my own god sister who became an optometrist. And I never remember as a child her wanting to be anything else. So when we played as children, I always was the school teacher. She always was the eye doctor and she became an eye doctor. And so it starts early. You do not decide most people don't decide to become a physician their senior year in college when they're two weeks away from graduation and trying to figure out what their next move is. And so we are trying to find ways to strategically introduce the profession to young students so that they can have time, right, to make decisions about what direction they want to go in. Is that a direction I'd like to study once I get into school? And is this something that I see myself doing as I progress on my career? So a few other thoughts um, that I think I can try to add to this. So let's think about the questions of, do we have the right people? Do they have the right mindset? Are they exposed to the right role models? And are they learning in the right locations? And if we can sort of line up all those pieces, then, then hopefully we're trying to build that diverse student pool that ultimately moves into residency and ultimately moves into medical practice. And so the whole selection process, what efforts are there to look at? And instead of making it all about numbers, qualities and qualifications and things that align you well to the philosophy of osteopathic practice and ultimately to the practice of medicine. So that hopefully we're bringing the right people through the door and into the seats and that they're then supported to be successful. And that while they're in school, we're creating the right mindset. And so one of the things about our consensus statement that I mentioned earlier is to sort of rethink diversity so that it's not just about numbers in and of itself, because we're going to have a lot of work for a long time to improve those numbers that you talked about. 
it's on everyone to make sure that we're offering care to a diverse population that's here in the United States. And so, so that's an important part of who we are. That's part of building the mindset. Again, making sure we have the role models that are going to show that way forward and promote that kind of practice. But the right location piece, and I think this is, again, how do you start to cultivate this diverse group? Our schools are located in areas of the country that if it weren't for those DO schools, there may not be medical schools trying to draw from that area, train in that area, and keep people practicing in that area. And so 60% of our schools are actually located in federally designated underserved areas. And so that in of itself helps with that place you in an environment to learn what's important and to think about how we build that workforce of tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And Dr. Kane, I know you mentioned earlier when we were talking about, you know, some of the barriers, you mentioned the cost of medical school. And, you know, I, I certainly know plenty of people who have considered it and been like, can't be in that much debt. So I was wondering if we could chat a little bit about how the cost of medical education can impact applicant pool diversity and, you know, what the medical school community can do to combat this issue. Yeah, it's one of our huge challenges. I mean, unfortunately, medical education is expensive, and and that's just um, part of what we're dealing with. And I never want to diminish what those numbers can mean to individuals, especially, you know, I mentioned earlier that if you take certain groups of students, especially those that have come from under-resourced backgrounds, which is part of the diversity question that that we're talking about, those numbers can seem really big. And what do I do with that? And again, this next comment is, I want to be very specific because it is not to diminish the importance of that cost. A medical education is still one of the best investments you can make, right? Overall, in terms of the ability to pay back that debt and to be successful down the road. But if you can't get past what that number means in the first place, then that's a challenge. So there are programs to actually try to help our students understand they're built into the accreditation standards and and for students to be educated on those financial issues and what that actually represents. But that's only helpful once you're in the seat and learning it, not before you actually get there. So no question, cost is a factor. We do have to keep the low-cost loan programs in place and easily available to students. We also have to build our scholarship programs in terms of how we can support students from a need standpoint. And certainly one of our roles as the association is to think about how can we take on certain services here to centralize them that allow the schools to no longer have to do those and not add additional, they're always adding something new. And that new thing always adds more cost. But if we can do things to help stabilize that, can we save some of those costs and diminish them to some degree uh, for them? But this is a tough area because it's clearly one we have to to do better with. Um, We do have a scholarship program here at ACOM. It's small, but we're trying to grow that as well and look for ways that we can support the students. And Sarah, when students begin, you know, ACOM believes that every qualified student who has the goal of becoming a physician, that they should be able to do that. So through our centralized application process, we have a fee waiver program. If students meet those the thresholds of that program, then they are given a fee waiver for their application to osteopathic medical school. And I will share with you that 100% of qualified students who applied last year received that fee waiver. 
Yeah, that's that's certainly an important aspect of it, even just the the fees associated to. I never even really thought of that component. So I'm glad you brought that up. We've spent, you know, a little while talking about some of the barriers and some of the challenges to building this diverse medical workforce. But I wanted to kind of close out with a, a highlight and and hear about where you guys have seen the medical education industry make important strides in creating and sustaining a diverse workforce. Just examples of where we're succeeding. Helene, would you like to go first? Well, Sarah, one of the things that I'm excited about and that drives the work that I do, because Dr. Kane mentioned to you about the mind, body, and spirit, the mission, the heart of ACOM and osteopathic medicine. Our country is a diverse country. And we've talked today about how trust is a factor and how people need physicians who look like them. Every day I wake up with the knowledge that my department and I are making a difference with that. And we are turning the needle on that. And as we continue to grow as an association, it's important to me as a woman of color that that portion of our profession grows, but also that portion of our profession who, by virtue of their life, whatever that demographic may be, being under-resourced, being a minority student who's interested in medicine, living in a rural or underserved area where there is a lack of health care, of quality health care, and that person wants to go to medical school and become an osteopathic physician and then go back to their community, Those are the things that really fuel me in the work that I do and make me know that I'm making a difference. And so outreach and awareness is so important to that. And as the profession continues to grow, I see the diversity of the profession growing and I see the difference that osteopathic medicine will make in the world of medicine because we are growing as a profession. And I do see that number growing very quickly from 25% to a percent that I can't even imagine at this point. But I know that that it's growing rapidly and we're excited about it and excited to be a part of that growth. I want to commend the work that Helene has done with her team to try to actually address the issue of helping us create a more a diverse uh, workforce. It's really about reaching out to all qualified applicants. The more we can contact people who have the chance to get that application in and be considered, then that's a start at building that that diverse uh, workforce. 25% of today's medical students are earning the DO degree. And so that's really important here. It's actually about 11% of practicing physicians, so roughly one in 10, hold the DO degree. We've seen a lot of growth in the past two decades. And again, in those areas where medical care is desperately needed. And so 25% of the current medical students are earning the DO degree. And ultimately someday that's gonna catch up where we can say 25% of practicing physicians are osteopathic physicians. But I'm gonna back up in terms of your question. Earlier I mentioned the fact that like many organizations, inclusion is one of the actual values for ACOM. But to show you just how far back that goes, our very first class had six women in it in 1892 when the first osteopathic school opened, right? And the the founder of osteopathic medicine was actually an abolitionist, right? So he was looking at inclusivity from the very beginning of this profession. And unfortunately, just the, the laws of the state where the first school opened didn't allow African-Americans to be admitted at that time. But by 1921, we had our first 
African-American DO graduating from our Philadelphia school. So inclusivity has been important, I think, really since the beginning of the profession. And so it's sort of built into that. Today, about 52% of the students earning the degree are women. But two things I'd like to share that I think are really positives for us is that we will very soon be opening a new college of osteopathic medicine in Baltimore, Maryland, that will be part of Morgan State University, which is a historically black college. And so it will actually be a DO school associated with an HBCU and give us an opportunity to have a slightly different conversation about what we're trying to do to create a diverse workforce. And that's being led by one of the first, well, actually the first woman, African-American woman, to be the dean of either a DO or MD school, Barbara Ross Lee. So an exciting project that's happening there. The other thing is the rural locations that we've talked about, we also have associated with Oklahoma State University, uh, a campus that's on the Cherokee Nation in Oklahoma. And so very focused on Native American uh, healthcare needs. And we have at least two other schools that have strong programs in that space as well. So I think as we look across our profession, we're trying to just have a slow, steady approach to saying, what can we do to make sure we ultimately create that workforce that looks like the communities they serve across America? So not thinking of it in terms of numbers or quantities, but the actual outcome we need to deliver the care that those patients need. I think the one thing that I would like to make clear in this conversation today is that, again, we're not just looking for applicants. We're looking for qualified applicants that are interested in the osteopathic medical profession and who, once they become doctors, will continue to practice with those tenets in mind and progress the profession and grow the profession and be mentors and champions for the values of osteopathic medicine. Yeah, you know, one of the interesting things about our community, our osteopathic medical education community, is that it's really centered in community-based healthcare. And so, whereas um, so many of our um, colleagues, the, the MD schools, are associated with large universities, large teaching institutions, our teaching takes place in the community where people will practice. And so it gives us a unique opportunity to connect to those communities as part of the, the teaching initiatives. And that's roughly about 80% of healthcare happens outside of those sort of 254 large teaching hospitals. There are over 5,000 other hospitals in the United States. And that's predominantly where our education is occurring. And that allows us, again, to, to try to address this from a slightly different perspective than I think our colleagues can, and hopefully make a difference for the people that we'll serve. Right. Well, thank you guys both so much for, for taking the time to chat with me today. This has been a really eye-opening conversation and I think a very important one for us to be having as healthcare sort of pursues this priority of equity. So I really appreciate you guys taking the time. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you. And for anybody who happens to listen, we will be having a recruitment fair for anyone interested in pursuing a career in osteopathic medicine on April 29th at the Baltimore Waterfront. They can find a registration link at aacom.org, and we will have presentations for them, panels, as well as osteopathic medical manipulation simulation for them to see what osteopathic medical doctors do. So we hope they'll come and join us on Saturday, April 29th. I love that. Great. Thank you guys so much. 
Listeners, we would love to hear your insights on this topic as well. So if you have any thoughts that you would like to share or any questions or topics that you think that we should cover in future episodes, please reach out to me at kwaddell at extelligentmedia.com. That's K-W-A-D-D-I-L-L at extelligentmedia.com to share your thoughts. And also don't forget to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Thanks for listening. This is a Tech Target production. Mm-hmm.